Drácula. A moment ago, I stumbled upon a most amazing phenomenon. Something so incredible, I mistrust my own judgment. Look. Dracula. The very mention of the name brings to mind things so evil, so fantastic, so degrading. You wonder if it isn't all a dream, a nightmare. Hey guys, Cass here. So that's right, this week I want to basically begin by starting off talking a little bit about the uh, Universal Monsters. So we discussed these guys a little bit in... um, my look at the full history of horror and essentially i mean these really truly were the the pillars of which everything we we've come to love uh was built on so little brief history for those of you that haven't uh, listened to the history of horror. Um, so the Universal Monsters is a phrase, you know, that's thrown around to describe the horror, suspense, and science fiction films made by the Universal Studios during the decades of the 1920s through the 1950s. So, um, I mean, this starts with The Hunchback of Notre Dame, uh, The Phantom of the Opera. Uh, this is, you know, the golden silent era with Lon Chaney. Uh, Universal would then move towards the talkies in the 1920s and 1930s. And this is when we're going to see Dracula, Frankenstein, the mummy, the invisible man, the wolf man, the bride of Frankenstein, the creature from the Black Lagoon, and so on. Um, And of course, our main stars, you know, Bela Lugosi, Boris Karloff, and Lou Chaney, Lou Chaney Jr. Uh, You know, these these names are going to reoccur throughout the the few decades. So, like I said, the 1920s was the start of the silent gothic era with Lou Cheney. Um, and he's really noted for being the father of special effects makeup. Truly stunning work. I mean, he had like a bust of his own head that he worked on so he could see the work he was doing and how it would look. Um, it's it just really, truly fascinating man. Um, and... Uh, you know, with the Phantom of the Opera, The Man Who Laughs, The Cabinet of Dr. Calgary, these these are all, you know, classic uh, silent era that really, truly focus on the, the birth of the horror film, but, but something's missing in, in, in a couple of these, and, and that truly comes into play once we get into the Universal Monsters. So as um, talkies progressed um, and became more dominant, Universal wanted a piece on uh, of the money that was being made. So um, that's when basically we see the birth of Dracula. So that's the 1931 American pre-code vampire film. And it was directed by Todd Browning. And it stars Bela Lugosi in his title role, uh, Dracula. I mean, it's the most iconic. And he basically would create what we would always hold Dracula, you know, the vampire um, from Transylvania towards. So um, it was produced by Universal, but truly just plucked off the stage um, as this was a stage production with Bela Lugosi in the main role. Um, and this uh, stage play uh, by Hamilton Dean and John L. Battle Badderston, um, you know, of course, was loosely based off Bram Stoker's novel uh, Dracula. 
So essentially the plot, um, you know, we're focused around Renfield. He's a solicitor traveling to the Count's castle in Transylvania on a business matter. And within the local village, you know, he's warned not to go. Uh, He's told it's, it's, you know, it's dangerous and it's not worth his time. So he's taken on quite the little journey towards the castle um, and finds himself being let in by a bat. And as Renfield enters the castle to meet... um, the well eccentric count um you know unbeknownst to him um you know dracula is a vampire and basically he's tending to lease an area in london um and travel to there the next day so he hypnotizes renfield into uh opening the wind window renfield faints as the bat appears and so does the three wives as they close in on him but dracula defends him because he truly just wants renfield for himself he has a bigger plan so they um, brainwash him, and next scene, we're boarding the schooner um, towards London. But we see that Renfield's turned into this sort of raving lunatic slave towards Dracula. Um, and uh, basically, as the schooner reaches England, we are discovered to find that only Renfield's the only living person. So obviously, Dracula fed on all of the uh, ship's uh, staff. Um He's uh, basically sent towards the sanitarium, and Dracula is loose on London. So um, the London theater, where Dracula meets um, our main sort of secondary characters. So we have uh, Seward, Mina, and John, um, and of course their friend Lucy. Uh, Lucy's attacked that night and dies the very next day. So um, truly, when everyone starts realizing there's something more mischievous at work, so Renfield is, you know, eating bugs while well, he's sort of discovered by Professor Van Helsing. And they see that the blood of Renfield, he notices that there's some sort of problem and notices that Wolfbane actually terrifies him and, and works towards scaring him off. So when Dracula finally meets Mina, of course, bites her. And it's really neat that, you know, there's no fangs, there's no blood used in any of this. Um, you know, it's just all left to your imagination. Um, and of course, Van Helsing, um, you know, and uh, Harker, they notice that Dracula doesn't have a reflection. So this is when basically he's outed as a vampire. So we have our iconic ending um, and, uh, you know, just overall fantastic adaptation with uh, just a few creative uh, differences. So cast, Bella Lugosi, Dracula, he could have a podcast all towards himself. Truly a fascinating man um, and quite a sad sad life towards the end. Uh, Helen uh, Shander would be Mina Seward. David uh, Manners is John Harker. Dwight uh, Frey as Reinfeld. Uh, Charles J. Gerard as um, Reinfeld's assistant. Edward Van Sloan is Professor Van Helsing. Herbert Bunston is Dr. Seward. Francis Dade as Lucy um, uh, Weston. And Joan Standing, a nurse, but sadly in the credits, you'll notice that she's uh, listed as a maid. <laughs> Whoops. Um, so a little bit of background about the film itself. Uh, so Bram Stoker's novel, you know, um, it was filmed without permission in 1922, the infamous Nos- Nosferatu. Uh, it was a German film. And of course, Mrs. Stoker would, uh, would sue, win, and the court would order that all these prints be destroyed. But luckily, there was a couple that did make it through. So... Um, Carl uh, Linus Jr., he's the one that he saw the box office gold within this film, basically took on the rights for Dracula, but he wanted a truly a lavish, silent film. 
But the Broadway uh, blueprint, this would really gain momentum. So the screenwriters would study Nosferatu for inspiration. Um, and then at the same time would use um, the Broadway production and the book. So kind of a three-way cross there um, in, in creating this. Um, the one bit of business uh, was, you know, basically there's this one scene that was lifted directly from Nosferatu. Um and that's when Reinfeld pricks his finger, starts to bleed, and you see Dracula kind of creeping away. This is all based off one scene in Osferatu. So I thought that was kind of cool. So the production, um, a lot of people don't know, but that uh, Dracula voice that Bela Lugosi is famous for. Um, it's because he learned English phonetically uh, studying the script. So everything was enunciated out. Um, he was a stage actor um, and originally... Um, Carl Laramie Jr. did not want him whatsoever. Um, but L Lugosi basically, you know, would lobby hard for his uh, reason why he should be in it. Um, and essentially, he was paid pretty poorly. He was only given about 500 per week for seven weeks worth of work. So for a role at that time, I mean, it's not bad, but it, it's not amazing either. Uh, so the production, um, it was truly a disorganized affair. And the meticulous Ted Browning um, would lean on uh, his cinematographer, Carl Frode, uh, to take over, um, just just given how insane everything was. So the Hungarian prayers and signs, uh, this was, you know, basically a modern day... Um, Transylvania, you know, they wanted to make sure that these people were speaking Hungarian, so it made sense in the area. Um, the stage adaptation, it's it's evident, you know, that basically there's no music. So essentially, this would be a really easy way for the theaters that haven't adapted to take on talkies to still be able to show the film as a silent film. It's, it crosses over really well to be either silent or with uh, with sound. Um, and the director was really a famous silent film uh, director, so he, he knew what it took to, to get the story across without, without saying anything. Um, and uh, the limitations for music, you know, they have a little bit of a, of a theme, but they would end up reusing this for The Mummy down the road, so we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit further. So the film was released um, in New York in February 12th of 1931, and then two years, two days later throughout the entire U.S. The audiences were just truly horrified by the whole film itself. You know, some were noted to have fainted in shock, and this is the first time where there's really no comic relief. There's nothing to break those 90 minutes of just tense uh, feelings even though um given it was 90 minutes of just this tense you know blood-sucking demon um you know it ended up making huge money uh, accumulated about seven hundred thousand dollars worth of profit and that would be one of the largest universal uh releases for 1931 so um reception uh, was basically well received by the critics um but the best part um for many was uh just the imagination of the director and just the performances that's truly what what made people love this film um you know wasn't wasn't the story and essentially this would lay the the blueprints for universal to go forward with our next topic which will be frankenstein <clears throat> so um you know it's definitely a classic for the era uh selected with um 
you know, it was selected to be in the preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress and is uh, culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant uh, towards film. And uh, it's one of, is listed as the 79th of the 100 scariest movie moments. Um, the performance of Dracula, you know, it's the definitive Dracula. We will always go back to this in pop culture as being the first. You know, it's, it's what everything's based off of. And um, is what everyone looks towards when they're kind of shaping a vampire character. Um, and, you know, this this role for Bella Lugosi, as I said earlier, was truly a blessing and a curse. Um, despite huge earlier stage success, um, you know, it just... He would be constantly typecasted um, and basically died penniless. It's, it's pretty sad. Um, Looking into just some of the cool facts about this, if any of you have an original poster, very valuable. Highly recommend turning that in. Um, the money alone for that piece of paper, it's it's worth its weight in gold. Um, and Universal saw how much money this film could make. So when you look at it, there are so many sequels coming into the Universal Studios in regards to Dracula. It is not till around the 50s when Hammer Studios would take a whole other um, approach towards it. Uh, personally, thought it was a great film. Uh, for what it is i mean when if you do decide to watch it remember this is 1931 this isn't 2017 <laughs> so um you know it's just definitely one of my favorite uh literary characters um maybe not my favorite universal monster per se um and down the road i definitely love the crossover with albert and costello um but uh, we'll talk about that on another day anyways folks hope you enjoyed this podcast definitely reach out to me um on social media if you want me to talk about a certain topic um you know if you have any questions that sort of thing or just just want to say hello anyways um just want to say happy halloween for those of you that will be out next week and um yeah just hope everybody has a safe time trick-or-treating thanks